assembly of God's people is something very, very special, isn't it? And can you imagine, because of this day, the first day of the week, uh, for over a dozen hours already, people have been worshiping him. You can just see this worship that, that goes up over this planet, and it's going to continue. And it's such a special thing. I love the songs we're singing, as Wayne, as you pointed out. There's a great psalm where the psalmist says, When you said, Seek my face, my soul said to you, Thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. Mm-hmm. That's the desire of our hearts, isn't it? <coughs> and um, uh, singing these amazing songs, they bring us into his presence. How blessed is God. What a blessing he is. He takes the takes us to the high places of blessing and him. Long before he ever laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had you and I in mind that we might be made whole. Make us whole again. (coughs) And holy by his love. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to share in the joy of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. And so here we are this morning. We're celebrating the blessing we share because he's brought us into his blessing. Long before he ever laid down earth's foundation, he had you and me in mind. Isn't that a beautiful thought? He wants to make us whole again. And he's been in that process of making me whole again ever since I came to know him in college and to make me holy in his sight. Mm-hmm. Isn't it amazing that you know you have this awesome scene in Revelation chapter 4 of this throne room and, and people worshiping our Heavenly Father and then as chapter 5 opens there's an angel who holds a scroll in his hand and there's found no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who's worthy open that scroll mm-hmm. <coughs> and then he hears a voice behind him that says behold the lion of the tribe of Judah and I turned and I looked and there in the midst of the throne was a lamb having been slain mm-hmm. what an amazing scene and so heaven cries out worthy is the lamb that was mm-hmm. slain receive glory and honor and power and dominion for with your blood you purchase people from every language and tribe and people and nation Mm -hmm. and then the four living creatures and the 24 elders they fell down and they worshiped and so we get to join in that we're joining in that this morning and so it's a privilege for me to be with you joining and worshiping this lamb that was slain Mm -hmm. this precious precious lamb so that I can be redeemed, so that I can be adopted into his family. So it's a privilege to be with you. My job these days is to help train people to bring the good news of Jesus to Muslims. I love Muslims. Uh, maybe some of you have Muslim friends. They, I've learned hospitality from my Muslim friends. Have any of you read the book, A Wind Blowing in the House of Islam by David Garrison? Let me just share with you some of the great things God is doing. I'll, I'll do some other things as well. I'm glad you got clocks all around. I know, <laughs> I'm, in, I know I'm in America, so I have to, you know, uh, be aware of the time. 
Uh, my wife and I moved to Kazakhstan in January of 1992. Kazakhstan had declared their independence three weeks before we moved. And when we moved to Kazakhstan, we knew of about 35 to 45 known Kazakh believers among 11 million people. Today, 86 percent, uh, you know, there's, you, you probably heard the term unreached people. 86 percent of the unreached peoples, if things remain the way they are, will never have the opportunity to hear Jesus. 86 percent of the unreached peoples in the world. 1.7 billion of them are Muslim. 86% of them will never have the opportunity to hear Jesus. And so uh, God has called Debbie and I to be a part of helping to equip this next generation. So when we went to Kazakhstan, there were 35 or 45 known believers, and uh, we met some other workers. So we were all from different organizations, and we'd meet in my living room every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning and we'd pray. Uh, about a half dozen of us men and sometimes we'd, we'd be prostrate on the floor. Sometimes the Spirit of God would just convict us of our own wretchedness and we'd repent and we would begin to pray for the Cosmos. And uh, we would begin to have faith. Lord, we pray that dozens of Cosmos would come to know you. Dozens. <laughs> Great faith. Dozens. <laughs> You know, when there's only three dozen to pray for dozens, that's pretty big. <laughs> and then we kept praying, and God uh, allowed us, Lord, we, we're asking for hundreds. Would there be hundreds of Kazakhs who would know you? And we kept praying, and, and we began to, God, could there be thousands? Could there be thousands of Kazakhs who had come to know you? Uh, prior to my generation, they would say one Muslim missionary, one Muslim who would come to know Christ in one lifetime. Prior to our generation. One missionary, one Muslim who would come to know Christ in one lifetime. And today, there are thousands of Kazakhs are praising Jesus. Because what God is doing, from the time Islam began until the year 1900, outside of the sword, we know of only two movements among Muslims. They both took place in the 1800s. There was a man in Indonesia, and so... You know, uh, the Dutch came, and, and what we do is we don't realize how we bring the gospel wrapped up mm -hmm. in who we are. There's a great quote by a South African bishop. He said, we were so hungry for the gospel. So when the missionaries came, we were so hungry for the bread. They brought the bread in their plastic bags, and we ate the bread plastic and all. <laughs> now we're choking on the plastic. Yeah. And we don't realize what we do. And, and so the Dutch colonized Indonesia and this one man somehow even with the midst of the wrapping found Jesus and he didn't fit in the Dutch church so he just began talking to his friends about Jesus in a way that his friends could understand and and somewhere between 20 and 40,000 people of Indonesia came to know Christ through this man uh, and and so he that was at the end of the 1800s into the early 1900s 
And then there's the White Fathers, the Catholics who worked with the Berbers in North Africa. And uh, it was approaching five or 600 people who may have come to know Christ. So from, from the time Muhammad, uh, he died in 634 until the year 1900, only two movements that we know of. And then God began to do some things that blew us away. In Indonesia in the 1960s, there was this communism issue that was wrestling. There was this war that was taking place and people were killing one another. And uh, God massively poured out his spirit. And I think to this day, probably the largest quick <coughs> influction of people into uh, becoming some kind of followers of Jesus happened. Uh, that was unheard of. And maybe some of you have read a book called The Mighty Wind. And God did, did some amazing things that's continuing. And then uh, when the Soviet Union fell apart, things began to open up. And so uh, we went into Kazakhstan, we went into Kyrgyzstan, we went into Azerbaijan. Uh, we were in Tur Turkmenistan for a while. They'd made it difficult. Tajikistan. And all of these people groups had somewhere between, we'd hear of numbers, oh, there's 25 known believers here, there's 55 over here, but none into the hundreds. And God poured out his spirit. People were so hungry, and mm -hmm. uh, again, America was welcomed because of the freedom from communism. So I remember walking down the streets in Almaty, and a person walked up to me and said, I want to become a Christian. What kind of Christian is the most Western? I'm thinking, <laughs> it, would it be the Presbyterians who are most Western or the Anglicans? <laughs> what kind of Christian should I become so I can become the most Western possible? I'm not sure he wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but he wanted to be Western. And, and so there was a great openness. And so there's thousands, I think around 5,000 or so Kyrgyz who are following Christ, about the same in Azerbaijan. And so God began to pour out his spirit. And so by the year 2000, uh, we would say there were about another maybe a dozen movements of a thousand or more of people who had come to Christ among the Muslim people. Uh, we rejoice over that, but I mean, that's 1.7 billion people. So what has God been doing since the year 2000? Since the year 2000, uh, from North Africa from West Africa into East Africa, into Central Asia, into the Kazakh, into the Turkic world, the Persian world, into Pakistan, India, <coughs> Bangladesh, uh, Indonesia, even the Philippines. There, uh, as of I think uh, 2013, there were 72 new movements among Muslims in the world. Isn't it amazing? Mm -hmm. uh, and some of these movements, uh, they're doubling every, every 15 months. It's not that the Muslim has seen Jesus of Nazareth and rejected him. He's never seen him. Mm -hmm. And so the veil of darkness and misunderstanding still lies all over his face. And then we haven't known how to communicate. Uh, we bring what's good news to us, to other people. You know, the, the gospel is this beautiful diamond. We were talking about that a little bit last night. It's a beautiful diamond. 
and every facet reveals something so amazing. Uh, for many of us in this room, the aspect of his redemption just grabs our hearts. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been set free. Uh, this idea of redemption that we now have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. When God looks at me, uh, I'm a saint. Did you know that Paul never writes and says, gee, I'm writing to the church in Raleigh, the sinners in Raleigh. He says, to the saints, the holy ones. <coughs> That's our new identity. That's who we are. And so as we live out of that identity, we live holy lives. That's what we're called to. And so another aspect uh, of this beautiful diamond is my sins have been atoned for. It's, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> but I, it's, they've been bought and paid for. Another aspect of this diamond is uh, this big word, propitiation. The wrath of God has been satisfied. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, but people in a fear of power <coughs> uh, worldview, that means a lot. And so Christ is victor. Christos victor, as some <coughs> of these great books have been written. He's, he's the one who gives victory. And uh, he gives honor to the same. <coughs> For those who are involved in gangs, they understand this a lot. When we went to <coughs> Kazakhstan, you know, I, I, first I studied Russian, and then we began to study Kazakh, two totally different languages. Kazakh is the language of the heart of our Kazakh friends, and so we wanted to speak to their heart. But I remember talking to one of my friends in Russian, and I said, uh, you're a sinner. Yeah, that's right. We had a great time partying last night. And uh, for most of us in, you know, the older generation, I'm not sure quite where the younger generation of Americans are at. But what really grabbed us is we were sinners and somehow we were made <coughs> righteous. So that aspect of the gospel just really spoke to us. So we developed tools like the four scripture laws where Billy Graham accepts the peace with God. The navigators had this tool called the bridge illustration where a man is on one side where the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Christ paid for our sins. And so, you know, it's a great illustration that spoke to our hearts, but it wasn't speaking to my Kazakh heart. And then they kept using this word, oyat, oyatambar. What in the world is oyat? It took me forever to get my head around that. And it means I have shame. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the fact that they're a sinner doesn't grab their heart, but the fact that they have shame grabs their heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, another thing that grabs the hearts of Muslims is they're very afraid. Mm -hmm. We're in Kosovo, and uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you a couple stories, but in Kosovo, and, and uh, we had done some training, and, and so I, I hung around for another week, and God's hand of favor was on us. I was with a Kosovar friend. We hadn't seen anybody begin to follow Jesus for a couple of years. And uh, so we were together, and uh, our God just did some great things. But one of the last things is uh, this family has kept calling and <coughs> said we want to get together. Our daughter has a real problem. She's just being demonized every night. Uh, they uh, they come, and, and she's just terrified of, of uh, the evil that uh, she wants to do to her. So they said, can you help us? Uh, and uh, when I had been in Mali, one of the workers came up to us and said, our family had a daughter who was demon-possessed, and they asked if we could help. So I, I said, yes, we can help. So 
we came and in the name of Jesus we cast out the demon and we asked the family if they'd like to follow Jesus and they said no and so you know what the Bible says about that right mm -hmm. so then the demon goes looking throughout the earth and comes back and finds the place swept and clean and so he gets seven more people than himself and so they called back a, a couple of weeks later and said could you help us uh, it's worse than ever and the worker said well I, you know are you willing to follow Jesus and they said no and he said well I'm sorry if I did it it would just be even worse after this if you're not willing to follow Christ so they came and uh, so uh, we're talking with the father and mother and, and they're there and I'm asking their permission for their daughter to surrender her life to Esau Masih, to Jesus, and begin to follow him. And so the father finally said yes, and then I turned to the mother, and like most mothers, she immediately said yes, and then I turned to this 18-year-old daughter, and I said, would you begin to, would you like to begin to follow Jesus? And she said yes. And you know, her face is filled with anxiety and so forth, uh, at, mm -hmm. but uh, as we prayed for her, and, and she surrendered her life to Jesus. Her countenance just changed from <laughs> this anxiety, uh, fear, to just such peace that flooded her soul. And so after she gave her life to Christ, and we said, now Christ is the proper owner of this person. So in the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, we command all demons to leave and be gone from Blairtown. And of course, that's what our Lord Jesus Christ does. So they're filled with fear and power. And uh, so we, we begin to discover we need to bring aspects of Jesus to our friends where they will see him and know him and understand him. And I understand that many of you have a lot of international and foreign friends. And I see some of you from other countries and our Latino friends may have more experience and understand some of the thing related to curses better than we do. We take them very lightly here in America. Mm -hmm but they take them very <coughs> seriously. And so they, they do all kinds of things to ward off the evil one. But they're also filled with shame. And so uh, some of you may remember the global consultation on worldwide evangelism back in 1993 in Seoul, Korea. They tried to get peoples from every, every people group they could. So some of our friends who had now come to know Christ, they invited them to go to South Korea, and they did. And so uh, we were trying to figure out what should church look like for our Kazakh friends. And so, you know, we're in the scriptures and we're trying to understand the culture. And so they went to Korea and they came back. And so uh, the oldest man of our fellowship, Malik, said, this is what we need to do, folks. We need to get choir robes. <laughs> we're a little fellowship kind of like you folks here. And <laughs> we need to have a little choir and choir robes. And uh, we need to start cell groups every place. And so uh, he took one of our friends, Nurlan, and, and I came, and they were in this room, and Malik was telling him, Nurlan, you need to lead a cell group. You must lead a cell group. And uh, Nurlan is a fairly new believer, kind of shy. He's not uh, someone who necessarily attracts a lot of people to himself. And uh, in a shame on our culture, what do you do if you feel you can't do what someone's just asked you to do? You leave. You never come back because you're too shamed. Mm -hmm. And we had to understand this. Uh, <laughs> my, you know, some of my coworkers would say, oh, you just can't trust these Kazakhs. You'd say, uh, uh, Bill, will you come and help me on Saturday? 
And Bill would say yes, and then Bill wouldn't show up on Saturday. He'd say, man, what a lack of integrity. But now step into a shame, honor, worldview. Bill, will you help me on Saturday? He needs to honor me, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If he says no, he's, he's shaming me. And he's shaming himself. And how would he ever want to shame himself or shame me? So his answer of integrity to maintain honor in the relationship is to say, yes, I'll be there. Does he intend to be there? Probably not. Uh, Mary, how are you today? Good. <laughs> is she lying or telling the truth? Is she a woman of integrity? She came from I don't know that she's doing great, but our answer in America is I'm doing good or I'm doing great, uh, even though we may be suffering terribly. And so our, our, we have a standard lie answer. I mean, it might be true. It might not be true. And so we had to learn that. It's true today. <laughs> it was true until I asked the question. <laughs> And, and so when you step into this worldview, then you begin to see, boy, the gospel is so beautiful. You remember the story of Genesis, right? So Satan comes and said, uh, is it true that you can't eat from any tree of the garden? Oh, we can eat from any tree of the garden except this one's forbidden. And uh, you shouldn't eat it or touch it lest you die. Oh, you shall surely not die. But if you eat it, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And back then, our ancestors decided that they wanted knowledge more than obedience. And they traded knowledge for obedience. And we've been struggling with it ever since. We struggle with it in our church. Uh, we come together and we gather together so we get more knowledge rather than obedience. And uh, the enemy knows if he can keep us from obeying, he keeps us from being transformed. Mm -hmm. And he knows if we're transformed, then people can see the love of Christ in our life and what it does. So now think about the Bible. So after they ate this food and they heard the sound of God coming, what did they do? Yeah, and he says, uh, don't you love this? Aren't, we're always trying to hide from God. <coughs> and God is a gentleman who comes and he always asks, where are you? He's asking that question all around the world. Where are you? He doesn't push, he doesn't shove, but he's just saying, where are you? It's such an invitation. And what do they reply? We were naked. That speaks of shame, doesn't it? <laughs> and afraid. So we hid ourselves. What worldview are they communicating back then? Shame and honor and fear and power. But when we read it, oh, this is guilt and innocence. <laughs> There's some of that there as well. But did you see how the Bible speaks to these worldviews? So if it's okay, I, I'd like to tell you a story. It's a true story. It's from the scriptures. Would that be okay? Now, a Pharisee was inviting him to dine with him. And he entered the house and reclined at the table. Now, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table 
in the fairy tree time. She brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept drying them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. There was a moneylender who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, 500 days wages, and the other 50. And he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said, you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I entered, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Mm. Turning toward the woman, he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Now those who were reclining with him at the table said to themselves, who is this who even <coughs> forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now one of the Pharisees invited him to recline at the table with him. And he entered the house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Tell me, what are the people with Jesus thinking at this point? Go ahead, just share with me. What are the people thinking? Who is this woman? Yes. What's going to happen there? Why is she here? Why is she here? The world is waiting for, you know, <laughs> Kyle and Jesus. I mean, yeah. I don't know if that was culturally accepted or what. Yeah. Yeah. So now one of the Pharisees had invited Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the house and reclined at the table, and a woman of the city who was a sinner came bringing an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept drying them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume what is this woman feeling 
experience. Devotion. Staying. What are the disciples? We'll, we'll just assume they're in the story. They usually hang out with Jesus. But the disciples are there. What are they thinking? Mystified. Maybe embarrassed. Maybe embarrassed. Yeah, tell yeah. me more. Why might they be embarrassed? Isn't that a great word? You can, uh, you know, so the reclining, right? So there's a group of them just reclining around the table. We often did, did that in Pakistan. We, we used the, the men sat cross-legged. It wasn't right to sit, you know, not cross-legged. And uh, there was woman who's there behind him at his feet, so he's probably laying on a cushion. Awkward. This the kind of person I want to follow. He must have been willing to hang out because why else would he have been allowed to be there in the first place? And nobody would seem to want her around. Wow, this woman seemed to know her way around. Mm -hmm. Wow, maybe she had been invited to show up. <laughs> wow. So what does that say about the people who were there? That's a great <laughs> question. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, so he entered the house and reclined at the table. And the woman of the city, who was a sinner, entered the house and brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept drying them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointed them with the perfume. What are other things this woman may be feeling and thinking about Jesus at this point in time? She was in need of love for her husband. She was in need of love. And so this need filled her. Huh. And somehow mm -hmm. Jesus was the answer for her cry for love. Oh, that's beautiful. Maybe she was terrified coming in.
question when the defendant says to the ELO at this point, and that's what he was saying was going on between the defendant and the ELO. Having come in at trial through this prosecution. Yeah. And another thing, too, I guess you're saying is that they were, they were all in the presence of God. And she seems to be the only one in a way that you would kind of deduce from there. That seems to be the normal response, right? Yeah. And everybody else is sort of, let's keep it together and, you know, be, you know, socially respectable and just let it all hang out. Yeah, what's causing me curious? Well, there's no one else feeling guilty except for them. Yeah. And everyone was there. Mm-hmm. I just think that maybe, you know, you don't see this in there. Maybe they're on the scene where they're being interviewed. Yeah. Yeah, what what was causing those those deep emotional tears to come flowing out? Yeah. Very shaming. And they felt the judgment of everyone else. How that they felt all that judgment. And yet, with the judgment and the rejection of the others, Jesus didn't reject them. Jesus didn't push her away. That love that he was talking about that you've been so worried about me. Jesus gave it to her. You know? And so, I don't know about the rest of you, but something like that, my emotions, the tears would come just from release, from an acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Because she could have been filled with every joy. And so much when she just found him and could be there and quickly react to his kindness. And took advantage of an opportunity. And I think about the position of women in that culture, much less a woman of faith. That was a really big surprise to me. Yeah. What does this say for bringing a whole alabaster vial of perfume? What does it say about what she did? Bring it all to Jesus. Wow. She also showed respect and honor to Jesus. Showing respect and honor to Jesus. What might this perfume have been used for before by her? Reminding herself of her occupation. Yeah, perhaps. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him when he entered the house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She kept drying them with the hair of her head and and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume 
Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. There was a money lender who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, 500 days wages, and the other 50. And he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? I suppose the one whom he forgave me. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. What do you think about this money lender? <laughs> You're a money lender? Because <laughs> you've been forgiven more. Yeah. Because they're only sinners in their own sin. He's got a law against that and he doesn't realize how much he got to be forgiven for that reason. Wow. So he's a Pharisee and a money lender. No, I'm sorry. I switched that. I switched two different quotes there. So let's go back to the Pharisee. What's the Pharisee thinking as he hears? The story of this money lender. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to confuse you with that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's go back to the first. <coughs> There's some knowledge about the duties. Mm -hmm. That's how he's keeping himself self righteous. Mm -hmm. Knowledge about our duty. Yeah. He's being exploited. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's in his sinful, radical way. Tell, tell us more. Well, because this, he admits Jesus to mean who this woman is. Mm -hmm. So it's doubting that he's actually that person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's, he's thinking, and uh, so Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. What does this say about Jesus? <laughs> wow. Bottom line, we don't believe the prophet is that she is. <laughs> we yeah. also didn't say you Simon who this woman is. <laughs> yeah. So what does that say about Jesus in relation to this woman? back there? Uh, he said somehow uh, Jesus is implying that perhaps this woman sinned more than Simon the Pharisee had. Mm -hmm. Well, he thought it would be just Simon's yeah. perception. 
Oh, that would be mm-hmm. at least Simon's perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Even though they seem different in their minds, they still seem they're quite they they do seem like two totally different people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though they had sinned in different amounts, the forgiveness is equally acceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you think this is exterior to act or what occasions arise and nothing else is easy to get in that position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very easy to get into that position. The external, not the internal. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. When he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, there was a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept drying them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the oil, with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. (coughs) So which of the two will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave me. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I entered, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with her perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. What does it say of this woman is kissing his feet? She worshipped him. She worshipped him. She worshipped him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus. What do you think Simon is feeling at this point in time? Jesus had just said, I entered your house, you you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I entered, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my my feet with perfume. Probably feeling some anger. Mm-hmm. Say that again. He's ticked off. He's ticked <laughs> off. <laughs> he might be at the same time. He's 
different people were trying to sue me for that, and all of a sudden the fees were free, even though I, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. So it worked in a way for me. It wasn't fair, but it, it, we could be <coughs> truly effing either way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's a woman's name in the story? We don't know. What does that say that we don't know her name? Could be anybody. Her identity. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, yeah, we know you. <laughs> I think it was maybe she'd been left a little long before we were looking for her to be found. Because she was maybe one of the refreshing faces that we knew of for her originally. Maybe she'd been given less training, but probably she lived longer. Now, one of the Pharisees was inviting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and reclined at the table. And there was a woman of the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She kept drying them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. There was a moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 days' wages and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of the two do you think loved him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with <coughs> her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he was forgiven little love here. Turning toward the woman, he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. What is this woman feeling at this point? Overwhelming gratitude. What else is she feeling? <coughs> Freedom. Freedom. Acceptance. Very um, loved. Very but, loved. But she's not questioning if she has a heart. <laughs> <laughs> wow, she's receiving. 
and forgiveness. He's worshiping even more. Mm -hmm. He's worshiping him even more. (coughs) The only way you can recognize your guilt and your total inability to repay is by the Spirit of God moving in you. Mm Acceptance. Mm-hmm. Honored. The fact that someone's heart is on fire. Oh, mm-hmm. oh that burden of shame on our heart has just been lifted. Jesus understanding far more of who he was. Than the religious leaders or other people in the house mm-hmm. knew. Mm-hmm. Far more than others. You know, there's, there's no indication that anybody knew what Simon was thinking yeah. other than Jesus. Yeah. And so when he says this thing to her, says to him, it evidently completely changed the course of conversation from whatever it had been. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, it doesn't say that Simon said this. He said he, he said it to himself. Yeah. Thinking. So all of a sudden Jesus points out to him and explains and answers to this question that he'd ever asked. Yeah. And so anybody else is hearing only one side of that dialogue, <laughs> and they're hearing the thing about, well, you know, the host never did this, but this woman did, and then and the woman's sins are forgiven, and it's it's just out of the blue. Yeah. Where did this come from? Yeah, because yeah. they never knew that Simon was thinking this. But yeah, Jesus, but I wonder how many other people did. Well, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The yeah, they were probably thinking the same thing, and so Jesus answered that way. But he, the way Jesus did it for Simon was very. He never drew attention to the fact that Simon was asking this question. Mm-hmm. He just answered it very gently. Yeah. But then pointed at him and says, You didn't, but she did. Yeah. This thing turned it. <laughs> that was the guy's house. She had come in and said, Well, you know, Cheryl did this thing, but I didn't. In my house. And that was pretty pointed. Yeah. You know. And so the, the lady is just hearing this stuff and then all of a sudden she gets turned to and says, Her sins are forgiven. And she was the example, and now not only is she the example, but she's forgiven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she became that Cheryl Curtis today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. <coughs> Affective outward expressions yeah. were indicating <laughs> the way he felt on the inside <laughs> when he saw what was going on. Not that Jesus can't see things to people's thoughts yeah. or anything, but I think in this case he probably wasn't completely parsocial. What nonverbal communications do we see in this story? Since we're in football season, the uh, the greatest defense of Sean Hopkins mm. uh, he was totally disarming for someone who's psychologically <coughs> <really bad. coughs> mm. I've always heard that in that um, society you say honor to someone, someone you invited them into your house you washed their feet so I think that was very customary mm-hmm. so by him not doing that that was dishonoring <coughs> how much more would this woman dishonor when she came in mm-hmm. and just to a degree mm-hmm. I think it was revealing the fact that they only had one power which was their sin mm-hmm. and that's what the end of that passage people get kind of addressed the same who is this who dares 
What is the woman? Well, well, let's just take the the other people in the room again. So <coughs> now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman of the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept drying them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon answered and said, say, teacher, there, uh, there was a money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and he graciously forgave them both. To which of the two will love him more? Simon answer, answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave me. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but this woman has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I entered, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You gave me no oil for my head, but she has anointed my feet with the perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loved little. Turning toward the woman, he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were climbing at the table with him began to say to one another, Who is this who even forgives sins? So what, what are the people at the table with Jesus thinking? What else are they thinking? This is what happens when you let a woman sit in your house. What else are they thinking? He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. Doesn't fit my worldview. <laughs> Will he forgive me? Mm-hmm. Will he forgive me? Mm-hmm. Will he be a teacher that he can forgive? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of the other Pharisees that were with Jesus when he tabled. So <coughs> I've always assumed that they would probably be thinking, you know, who is Jesus' disciple? 
might they be thinking or feeling? lot of questions. Wow, I, I thought only God could forgive sins. Who is this person saying this? Can he really say it? Uh, is it really true? confused about that comment. I don't know about that one. Uh, what I'm saying is, <laughs> we stay in the story where we are. <laughs> so, that's <laughs> uh, just a, a principle of storytelling is you stay in the story you are, and uh, you never want to be the expert. Uh, you always ask questions you don't know the answers to, so that's all I've been doing is just asking questions I don't know the answers to. And uh, then we step into the story. So, Turning toward the woman, he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Mm -hmm. Those who were reclining at the table with him begin to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What is this woman experiencing? Forgiveness. Peace she's never had before. Cleanness. Joy. Joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. Wow. Maybe a hope for a whole new life. Well, thank you for helping me understand the story <laughs> better. Beautiful story for women in the Muslim world, uh, women in the Hindu village, and many women in America, and for many of us men. The sto <coughs> story speaks powerfully. I can be that woman. Any 
music to him. And, uh, turning toward the woman, said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So thank you for allowing me to share with you this morning. God is doing some great things around the world, and it's great to be part of it with you here, here in this part of the world. Uh, I brought a um, uh, list if you want to receive our email updates. I'll send out an update about once a month. We do all we can to help equip this thing to better bring the good news of Christ to the Muslims, especially. And um, so we'd love to have you join us in prayer if you want. And uh, I have a few things on storeroom and some stories you could learn if you want. And just a summary of some principles of storeroom and stuff. But Mary. About the storeroom, you're going to issue the challenge that you do when, when you give Thank the you, Mary. <laughs> So here's a really big question now. I'd, I'd like all of us to just think and say, uh, if this is true, what will I do <coughs> this week in light of what I've just heard? What might I do in the next 24 hours? But with what I've just heard, what will I do this week in light of what I've heard? So let's just take 30 seconds of silence and just ask God, God, what would you have me do in light of what I heard? And uh, another question for you is, do you know somebody you could share this story with this week? Try to think of somebody like that. And then if I could encourage you, next week when you get together, when you get together with someone next week, ask them, <coughs> how'd you do with what you said you do and who you share with and how'd it go? What a Savior we have. Thank you. Page 19 on your song sheet. Okay, just a quick explanation. Here's some uh, stories that you may want to memorize. Uh, some from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament. So, uh, our friend who was with us yesterday via Skype lobby took some of these today, and I've added just a few of my own as well. And uh, so if you want to memorize some stories, here's uh, Starbird Lake if you want. And then uh, yesterday in our seminar, I covered some of these uh, principles uh, that are in this one. So if you just want to know a little bit more about stories, uh, you could grab this as well. And it's got wet, but if you want more copies, I'm sure you can make more copies and make them available. Thank you. It's a song on page 19 that starts before the day, before the night. 
And Randy said this a couple of times. Um, before God created the heavens and the earth, he was already thinking about you. And this song starts that way. If you look at it, it says, before the day, before the light, before the world revolved around the sun, God on high stepped down into time and wrote the story of his love for you. Even the love that he had for this woman. Uh, 